Dudes of Kung Fu. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of Dudes of Kung Fu. <laughs> uh, I hope everybody had a, had a great week. Um, so, just to catch you up on why I sounded so lame when I said Dudes of Kung Fu instead of the awesome, cool way we normally say it, it's because Alex normally says it, and Alex couldn't join us this week. Um, Alex is uh, running his intensive training center camp this week, and uh, so you know he's the he, he's the busiest guy in Wing Chun. He has one of the uh, most successful Wing Chun schools in New York City, and his associations worldwide. So when Alex says he's busy, he's busy. So uh, this week here, we we're trying to think about who can we have as a uh, kind of a last minute replacement kind of thing for Alex. Because you know we, we you know Alex really didn't know what his schedule was going to be this week, and uh, but we kind of knew like this was going to be the one week where he was going to have a problem, and you know knowing Alex, he's you know this really nice guy, and it's you know it's impossible to replace him. I can't you can't say like oh let me let's just replace Alex with somebody else. You just can't. He's um, you, you need to you know Alex is an incredibly nice guy, non-confrontational, but you also want someone who's like super knowledgeable. So we thought, like, let's go for something the opposite of Alex. You know, Alex is nice. Alex is non-confrontational. So who do we know who's the opposite of that while still being incredibly knowledgeable about martial arts? <laughs> Let me introduce everybody to Anthony Iglesias. Hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> say, say hello, Anthony. <laughs> I am the hello. Yeah, yeah, the evil one, right? <laughs> he, Anthony is the, um, the the Sith Lord of Wing Chun. I warned you. Well, listen, this is what it is. Um, for those of you on Facebook, Anthony's the guy that has you blocked. And um... <laughs> You know, that is true. I do block a lot of people. You know why? Because actually, and this is your fault, Sean, because you and I have known each other for a long time. A long time, you know. And you used to always tell me all the time, dude, why do you waste time with these idiots? Right. And, you know, dude, see, it's sunk in. And now when somebody, when I deem somebody stupid, I just, I block them. Awesome. <laughs> I save myself. What is that? Economy of motion. I just get right, right to it. Boom. Exactly right. <laughs> oh, this guy looks like an idiot. Boom, block. <laughs> What's that? Another Bruce Lee quote? Block. <laughs> <laughs> So, Anthony, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about your background? Just give them a short synopsis of, you know, what you do in the martial arts and how long you're doing it and stuff like that. And uh, the, so they know where you're coming from, you know? You want the long or the short of it? <laughs> yeah, the medium one, just so people know the who medium. you are. Well, I grew up in Yonkers in the Bronx back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, I started martial arts in 1979 under uh, Mario Pontillo in boxing as well as my brother Randy. Uh, <clears throat> so I have a background in boxing. Started JKD in 1982. Uh, and then got into Fukien White Crane Kung Fu in 89 and then into Wing Chun and I've been a Wing Chun guy ever since. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Who do you do Wing Chun under? Uh, I'm under Sifu John Crescioni. I, yeah, I know yeah. John. John's a good He's man. Out in, uh, Long Island, yes. Yeah, the Sicilian. <laughs> right. John's uh, But you, um, you're a co-owner of a, a school as well, correct? Yeah. Uh, I uh, started originally... Uh, 16 years ago, I started the Syracuse Wing Chun Academy, and then uh, I hooked up with this guy, Eric Winfrey, Sifu Eric Winfrey, who was a JKD guy, so we got along great, and he started teaching at my school, and then we hooked up with Sifu Sharif Bey of Honga, East Honga, 
Mm-hmm. And so I felt bad. I'm like, man, it's called Wing Chun Academy, but I got these awesome dudes teaching here. Right. So I, I changed it to Syracuse Martial Arts Academy. Yeah. Oh, nice. I, I didn't realize Sh- Sharif Bay was um, still in your school. I thought he Not had something. Anymore. No, oh, no. okay. He, he came to me back when he first started teaching kind of like for business advice, which I thought was hilarious because I don't know jack about business. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, and uh, I was actually learning how to run a school under Guru Kevin Seaman, who is Sure, Eric sure. Louise. No, Kevin. Yeah. So he was my – that's why whenever I say that he's my mentor, people think, oh, he's your martial arts mentor. No, no, no. He's my business mentor. <laughs> right, right, right. He, he taught me how to not have my, my shop close in uh, two weeks. That's good. That's that's the way to be. I mean, martial arts schools open and close all the time. That's uh, oh, yeah. it's definitely a big problem. Yeah, we just had one up here close not long ago. Really? Gone. Poof, gone. But uh, no, Sharif uh, opened his own school. He was with us for a while, and then he opened his own school. In fact, he's only four doors away from my school now. Oh, wow. There you yeah. go. So I always go and harass him. He loves yeah. me. <laughs> or maybe nice. he doesn't. I don't know. Ask him. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, while uh, we're still new, you know, while the podcast just started, we wanted to remind everybody about the um, Wong Chung Lung appeal that we spoke about last week with um, Sifu David Peterson uh, raising money for the documentary for uh, the they're making on Wong Chung Lung. And um, we ask everybody to go on Facebook and search for Wong Chung Lung appeal or just friend David Peterson, Sifu David Peterson on Facebook. And, I, and he'll point you to the right direction. It's uh, it's a really good thing run by really good people, and we uh, would really like to see this get done. You know, I just want to say uh, Peterson's actually a really nice guy. I mean, we've only talked, we've interacted very, very little, but the guy is a class act, and I think that this project's going to be really cool. I think it's going to be great for Wing Chun. Absolutely, I and mean, they have John Little as the one that's doing it, and John Little does awesome work. If you don't know who John Little is, you know those awesome Bruce Lee books you guys, everybody owns? Well, John Little is the one that put them together, so uh, he he does top-notch work. Oh yeah, I, I think I have all of his books. I think maybe. Oh yeah. I'm pretty sure I have them all. <laughs> I'm sure. I, everybody does JKD and and has a job. Has every one of John Little's books. I mean, they're fantastic books, you know. <laughs> if you don't have them all, you're not trying hard enough. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should own them. Yeah, really. So, the big news this week in the world of uh, MMA is, you know, holy shit, did they sell the UFC? <laughs> it's amazing. I couldn't believe it. Like, you know, there was rumors a couple of weeks ago, like, oh, they're going to sell the UFC, and Dana White was denying it left and right. And then, early this week, there was a uh, an announcement made not by the UFC, by a couple of uh, MMA news agencies, and I use that term loosely, saying that they sold the UFC for $4.2 billion, which is awesome because, I mean, awesome for the owners, uh, Lorenzo and Frank Fertitta, Fertitta, whatever they're saying, Zufa, they bought the thing for $2 million, dude. They bought the UFC for $2 million. They they dumped $40 million into it, and, you know, it almost shut down. People don't know that. The UFC almost shut down. The ultimate fighter, that that, uh, reality show, the ultimate fighter, saved the UFC. Wow. Yeah, no, they were they were getting ready to shut down. So the UFC is saying that the rumors are not true that they didn't sell. But you know what scares me? Dana White is on every freaking social media network there is. He's got a new reality show now. Okay, and in no none of his social media, at least as far as I know, has he denied the rumor. Only the official spokesperson for the UFC, and and that kind of like scares me off a little bit. 
You know, like I think maybe it's a it's a, a lawyer thing. Like you know, it's almost it's almost sold. Maybe they didn't sign a contract or some other bullshit. But uh, and then TMZ, that ultra news agency TMZ, I was reporting it's the answer is no. So they must have a uh, hookup inside Dana White's office or something. But uh, I wonder. I'm I'm thinking the fighters. It's got to be an impact on it. It's got to be on their mind. Guys that are getting ready for fights, right, Anthony? I mean, what do you think? Is if you were a fighter in the UFC, would you be concerned? I would be scared shitless, man. Am I allowed to curse, by the way? Oh, feel free. <laughs> I, well, I listen to your show, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, yeah, I, I would. If I was uh, in the UFC, I would be scared because I mean, what's the future going to be? Is it going to turn into the dreaded WWE, or is it going to be, you know? I mean, who knows, right? Right, no, it's true. I, I don't know. I would be scared. Uh, you know, unfortunately, there there are people that are coming back into the UFC, like my uh, this guy that, that we're associated with, Tam, Tam DeMacori, who just fought this weekend. Unfortunately, he lost. You know, you know he's back in the UFC, and, he, and he's happy with it. I don't know. I mean, if, if they sold it, what would that mean as far as the deals they're getting, how much they're getting paid, how much respect they're getting? Are they getting the health insurance that they, they deserve? That's uh, the big thing. I think, you know, fighter salaries have to go up. Yeah. As far as I, I mean, the fighter is the base salary. It's not that. It's not that much. I mean, you know, the big names, Conor McGregor. Yeah, he's making boo hoo money, and Ronda Rousey. Because you know, they, they do get a percentage of the uh, of the, uh, the 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 UFC. What, what is it called? The, the pay per view. The mm-hmm. pay per view revenue. They get a percentage of that. Yeah. But like you know, Conor McGregor said, "Oh God, maybe sometime early this week or last week." He's like, you know, Dalloway. He's gone. Like, he's won like his last eight fights in a row, and he makes shit because no one knows who he is. Right. Because when he's on the card, he gets less pay per views than Connor because Connor talks a bunch of shit, and a lot of people watch even just to watch him get his ass kicked. But the, see, that's the issue that I'm I'm starting to take with the UFC is it's no longer about talent, and, and I might get some hate from my MMA friends, you know, but it's no longer about skill. I mean, you have some great fights that are not even being shown right that's know? true and the undercard fights right yeah and you, you, what are they you know everybody's getting excited about this circus act again i bring it up the wwe style you know approach where people are getting amped up because a person talks a lot of smack which hey i mean perfect timing but the last two days we've seen the the, the surge of some controversial people in the forums which we we're not going to talk about but i mean that stuff sells man if you piss people off you're gonna oh. get you're gonna get asses in seats. You're gonna get eyes on screen. You know, but right. if you talk about something legitimate, you talk about something really cool that that makes sense, that's serious. Nobody gives a crap. It, you know, it's really true. And like one of the things, my you know, my son John brought up a good point to me the other day. He was surprised that the UFC is letting there's a professional wrestler from the WWE now join the UFC, not Brock Lesnar, another one uh, called CM Punk. Oh God! So again, I don't watch wrestling, but I don't know who CM Punk. Now CM Punk signed into the UFC, and on the UFC advertisement, they don't use his real name. They say CM Punk is fighting such and such. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm sorry, that's freaking bullshit. That's amateur act. That's you know, if I wanted to watch wrestling, I mean, the last time I watched professional wrestling was Chief J Strongbow versus Bob Backlund. But, you know, which no one here knows who that is because it's from 40 years ago. But um, it's just, I mean, CM Punk? 
He may be an awesome fighter. He may be an incredible wrestler. What's his real fucking name? We haven't seen anything from him, though. Right. And again, I, I think he was some collegiate wrestler, so I'm sure he has a, a good game, a good background. But it's, I'm, I'm disappointed that they're not using his real name, that they're using this bullshit wrestling name, which is uh, it's nonsense, you know? Because it's about the money. It's about you know, hey, if you, well, I don't even know what his real name. Let's say his name is Clancy. <laughs> you right. know, if you say Clancy fighting at the people, who is that? Right, exactly right. You know, CM Punk. Ooh, you get you're gonna get these old you know those backward hicks who love WWE, and I'm gonna get yelled at for that one too. Who That's are gonna true. Be, oh my God, CM Punk is fighting. You know, they're gonna run to the to, to watch this, and they're gonna get the people from the WWE crowd, which is huge. Right, absolutely. Just like when they brought Brock Lesnar up. Yeah, and and and. It, Speaking of Brock, I, I listened to your last show. I had no idea. I knew that he was coming back, but I had no idea that he was getting the fight that he's getting. What? I know. I mean, come on. Make him work his way up just like everybody else. But the good thing about it is he's going to get punched in the face a bunch of time and run like a bitch that he is. <laughs> I hope so. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I, that'll be the end of that experiment too. Because I'm, I'm just, I'm not a fan. Of, I'm just not a fan of the whole wrestlers. Getting into the UFC thing, and you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't really care if whoever goes into the UFC. I don't care if it's John McEnroe. If as long as they work their way up the ladder like everyone else, right? You know, like, like, there are a lot of great young fighters out there who not, they're not getting a shot because they're they're nobody. Shoot, and and I, I don't think that's true. right. I don't think that's right. I think that these people should get a shot, or, or you know. The unknowns should get the shot, and the famous people should have to work their way up. Brock like, Lesnar should not be getting a, a title fight. He should not be getting a big-name fight. He should work his right. way up. Like, like what they did with Kimbo. You know, Dana White made that off-handed comment that if Kimbo White, back when he wanted to get into the UFC, wanted into the UFC, let him try and get on to the Ultimate Fighter. Mm-hmm. And Kimbo did. You know, he went, on the, he went on the Ultimate Fighter with guys that were literally 14, 15 years younger than him. And fought his way onto the show. Yeah. He earned his way on, you know? Yeah, legit. So this week, Anthony and I have a lot of martial arts to talk about. We, yeah. um, we're keeping the UFC part of it, you know, very... We want to touch on that, that news. But since that's the, uh, the, the, the whole scope of it, you know, we're not going to talk too much more about that. It's, um, we want to have a, uh, a podcast that focused on martial arts and what's important to us. And that's uh, Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do. Or Jun Fan Jeet Kune Do. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> or Jun Fan Gung Fu. Or JKD. Or whatever else bullshit name you have for it. Original JKD. Yeah, right. Exactly. Concepts JKD. We, um, I think we should start off our uh, conversation with a, a question we got from one of our uh, podcast listeners. And that will start us off on, um, on a nice little tangent here. Uh, Steve Brown, who's been a friend of mine in uh, in the JKD community for a long time, wrote in, and I actually love the way he wrote this. He says, uh, "Dudes, long time listener, first time caller. And if you've ever listened to sports radio, that's how everybody, what everybody says when they call into a sports radio station." He says, "My question is, what's your what what is your obligation? I'm I'm sure speaking in reference to uh, being a seafood. What is your obligation? Is it to you pass on the art as you learned it?" Versus the obligation to adapt and change, you know, whether it be in techniques, drills, curriculum, or anything else. So, if you're looking at Jeet Kune Do or Wing Chun, as the two watts that we 
Anthony and I do primarily. Um, what what is your obligation? Is it to pass on exactly? You know, do you pass on your Wing Chun, the forms and such, exactly how you learn them, or have you changed the forms? Oh. Or what um, about the drills and things to that effect? Uh, what is my well? I'll start with the obligation thing. <clears throat> my obligation is to not rip people off. <laughs> there you go. Is to be honest. Them, is to be as honest as possible. To be fallible. To let them know that I'm a human being, and that I can get hit just like anybody else. Because I feel <clears throat> that a lot of sifus lie. They and, and I'm going to say 95% of the sifus out there are a bunch of liars. And I don't care if I catch crap for this. Anybody who wants to talk to me about it in person, I'll give you the address to my school. A lot of the seafoods are liars because what they do is they've never hard sparred. They never competed. They never fought. They really don't know if this stuff works. And so what they do is they lie to these students and they teach them the curriculum and they teach them techniques and then they make stuff up. Right. You Absolutely. Know, because they've never been punched right you know they've never been kicked and so a lot of them are bs and so what they do is they teach a lot of bs to these students who themselves don't spar don't compete never had to use it they don't understand pressure and so they go on and teach this watered down nonsense so my responsibility as an instructor is to be as honest as i possibly can with my students so that they are not surprised when they go out there and compete, spar, or have to do this in real life. Right. So I guess I hope that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say that's the primary obligation. As far as how I look at it, I tend to teach, in, at least in the Wing Chun world, I teach the forms exactly as, as I've learned them, which means the choreography of the firm forms I have not changed at all. I um, I feel like if I'm going to represent my lineage, I want to do my lineage proud and pass on the form as Moyat taught it to my Sifu, Tom Kagan. Tom Kagan taught it to me, and I'll teach to my students the choreography of the form. Now, as far as adapting and being... Um, modernizing or progressive or anything to that effect again in as far as Wing Chun goes yeah I am a huge proponent of modern training um, apparatus and philosophy I, I feel for me that the best way to learn Wing Chun is in a boxing gym atmosphere so although I you know, when you walk into a Wing Chun school and it's kind of cool to see the wall bags and two or three Mukyang Zhang, if, you know, there's no heavy bag and speed bag, I'm kind of like a little bit apprehensive. Yeah. I kind of feel like there's a lot that you can learn as a fighter, regardless of, um, of, of methodology and, and system, from the use of a double end bag, speed bags, heavy bags, focus mitts. You know, because all of these involve movement found outside of the forms. And it, it teaches you how to move in a, in a, in a manner that's going to kind of bridge the gap between running static one-person drills to sparring. You know, learning how to move 
learning how to hit focus mitts with someone who's moving around and knows how to feed a focus mitt will get you to the point where you're going to learn balance through transitions and shifting in weight you know, in, in, in a real way, as opposed to just running down a line, throwing chain punches, and standing in front of a, 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 a sandbag and, and hitting it, and, you know, epoxy drill and things. Training. Just, no, there's nothing wrong. I'm not mocking yeah, that training yeah, at but, all. But, but there's something to be said for uh, learning from other fighters. I mean, you've heard me say this in the group, you've heard me say it on the phone, and so on. I rather learn from fighters. That's that's just my thing. I mean, maybe it's just because I, I'm this you know kid who grew up in in New York and got bullied a lot. But I'd rather learn from fighters because a fighter is going to teach me how to fight. And when people talk about this esoteric, you know, oh, martial arts is not about fighting. I laugh. I go, it is martial art. The name itself, martial, is about fighting. Right. However, please don't think that I'm a heathen, but. On the flip side of that, all the other stuff that you get, the self-discipline, the confidence, the health, that is a product of the hard training involved to become a fighter. Right. You know. So, of course, I want to use modern methods. Uh, uh, I want to, you know, if the question was, will I pass the information along the way it was passed to me? I honestly can't say that I would because um, there, there are things that maybe I didn't agree with. Right. You know, um, you know, like nowadays, uh, when I start someone in Don Chiso, right? I don't start. Li- I literally do not start them in Chiso using that method anymore. Okay, that's I don't. interesting. Um, I use a, a, a different method that uh, I actually learned from Francis Fong that I think is much more effective in in very very beginner people. You know, right, right, right. It's not that I'm discarding Don Chi. It's that I'm doing something as kind of like a, a preparatory uh, approach okay. that gives them something to work with before they get there. And I have found that when I do that, they take to Don Chi a lot quicker. Oh, excellent, excellent. So when, when I say I passed down Wing Chun as I was taught, I'm talking about the structure and the and, and the form. So if you look at Moya Wing Chun as, as I'm learning it, there's a structure in the drills in how they're taught. And, um, you know, like, so I, you know, you learn the Pak Sao drill, Lop Sao drill, Don Chi Sao, Luke Sao, Jiao Sao, Jeep Sao, Toi Ma, Sung Chi Sao, Chi Gert. I make sure that nothing gets left out. Right. As far as the system goes. But I definitely feel that you can learn to utilize the lessons learned from those drills in a more progressive, a more modern training environment. Yeah. You know, so if I take the lessons of, of Toima, and now we're going to take these lessons and, and now try and make this forward energy work against someone who's resisting progressively with boxing gloves on or, you know, with MMA gloves, I feel like that, at least as far as I feel, I'm not saying I can't, I'm not speaking for the Moy Out lineage or anything like that. I'm going strictly for Big Sean in his basement. For me, I feel like that leads to a more realistic understanding of, the, of, of, of combat principles. Yeah. Now, with that said, JKD, I look at it a little differently. Because JKD, to me, it's not a physical system. All right? I don't look at Jeet Kune Do as a physical system. 
I look at it as a, as a method of using principles. That's, that's how I was taught by my instructor, Steve Golden, that it's a set of principles used combatively. Now, is there, is there a physical system? Absolutely. It, there is the Jun Fan method of learning those principles. Yeah. You know, that there was there's this series of principles. They're not esoteric, but they're, they're, they're thought-provoking. So you have this idea of timing, distance, rhythm, how to use them and break them, and how to control them and the five ways of attack. To me, this is Jeet Kune Do. This is my understanding of Jeet Kune Do. And I will pass that understanding, to me, as a whole, to my students. That that's the quote-unquote tradition of Jeet Kune Do. Now, I'm going to pass this understanding of distance, timing, rhythm, and five ways of attack that I've learned from my instructor down to my students. Yeah. They're going to know why a vertical fist is used instead of a horizontal fist. However, the training methodology, the attribute development in Jeet Kune Do is, is got to be modernized. It's... You know, you you can't tell me you're gonna just do what Bruce Lee taught in 1967 and yeah. call yourself a modern fighter. Sorry, I, I just don't believe that 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 would have been the intent behind what Bruce Lee was doing at the time. In my opinion, Bruce Lee was doing the most modern training methodology at that time. At that time, and I think now today in 2016. He would be doing the most modern training methodology. He wouldn't be saying, well, I'm going to stick to what I taught in 1967. Mm-hmm. So, but we have to be careful. We can't just add on for the sake of adding. Right. You know, you have to still understand the principles and concepts. I always say concepts with a little c of Jeet Kune Do. And if you're going to add, if you, well, because I'm, I'm not speaking for the concepts with the big C, the Guru Dan family. That, they, they can talk for themselves, you know? Yeah. I, I, I say, you know, so you have to only add things that are going to stay in line with what you're doing. With, with, your with the concepts and principles. You know, so if I turn around and say, okay, uh, oh, you, know, you come to me and say, hey, I learned this awesome drill. And you do it, and you do it incredible. And I say, hey, that's a cool drill. What do you? What do I derive from that drill? And and you or whoever the guy says to me, well, I like to use the jump spinning back hook kick. <laughs> and this drill helps develop the timing for the jump spinning back hook kick. And I say, that's nice. Don't do it here, because right. Right. <laughs> the jump, you know, jump spinning back hook kick is not simple, direct, and non-classical. It's just not. So the training, the drill that you've developed, while maybe progressive and modern and new, has no business in our school because it doesn't develop an attribute that's going to be used, hopefully, by our fighters. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that's that's my thoughts as far as uh, you know, as far as uh, what what I want to pass on to my students. And that's, I agree with that very much. Uh, my uh, kung fu uncle. Uh, he uh, said he did a video a while back in New York. I think it was in uh, Central Park, and he said, "Learn the system and then add, put your tag on it, put your mark on it." And so, you know, I learned the system, and now I'm I'm expressing me within that system. And there's going to be, I mean, for example, you know, I I love Western boxing, right? So I will never 
let the Western boxing part of me leave who I am. It's who I am. And when I look at Western boxing and Wing Chun, I see similarities. Some people don't. I do. And so I'm going to pass that along to my guys and girls at the school, uh, you know, but staying within the parameters set of the concepts and principles uh, and the energies that is Wing Chun. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So that's, that's how I look at it. Right, right. I just just go off on a slight little tangent here. You you mentioned boxing, and two things popped into my head that I wanted to mention. That that um, JKD people do that drive me out of my mind and make me want to put a bullet through my fucking head. One thing. Oh well, Bruce Lee boxed and he you know won a fight. Okay, Bruce Lee was 16 years old and he was in a high school kid. Yeah. You know, sorry. Picture some asshole 110 pound high school kid. That, that every kid that you know in high school that weighs 100 pounds, that's the kid that Bruce Lee beat up, okay? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he was great, maybe he wasn't. Either way, I don't give a shit. It was like when he was 15, 16 years old in high school. It means nothing. Yeah. And the other thing, if one more Wing Chun person tells me that, oh, well, yeah, Wing Chun works against boxing, just watch Ip Man 2. Okay. And in Ip Man 3, he beats up Mike Tyson. Okay, listen, folks. That's a movie. It's choreographed. You gotta, like, take, take a step back from the screen, put away the tissues, <laughs> relax. It's a movie. Donnie Yen is not actually Ip Man. He plays a character named Ip Man, which is kind of based on fantasy. Okay? It is based on fantasy. Right. It's based on fantasy. It's, it's just no... But the Yen's the most awesome fighter in the world. How do you know right. that? Because he fought ten guys in that movie. It's you know what? <laughs> it's exactly right. If one more moron on a JKD or Wing Chun forum points at Donnie Yen as oh, if I was in a fight, I'd want him on my side. Yeah, as long as the fight's choreographed by some Hollywood studio, I'd want him there too. You know what cracks me up is, and they posted this in the big JKD group. It was this big picture. It was a grid I, of nine different I saw. martial artists. And they go, which one would you want to with you in a fight or some goofy thing like that? And I'm just like, you know me. I got to be the dick to these people. I'm like, are you guys freaking serious? You know, they got Donnie Yen in there. They got, uh, 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 oh, who's that guy? Oh, God. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Doesn't even matter. They, Jackie Chan. You know, Jackie Chan. Right. I'm like, come on, guys. Right. You know, this reminds me of something. I, I, you like to make fun of me because I'm a Star Wars nerd, but uh, I just had this debate with a Star Wars nerd. Um, you know, because okay, fine. Everybody knows that I'm into this whole Star Wars thing, right? And I have this lightsaber club that's you know a, a blast over at my school. And but here's a, here's this the difference though is we're actually doing real martial arts. We're just doing it with glow sticks. You know, I mean, picture the the bachamdo with glow sticks. You know, I mean, right. we, you know what I'm saying. So, <laughs> so we had this guy. We're talking about the reverse grip in sword play, mm -hmm. and 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 one of the guys who's an old wushu guy. You know, he says, "Oh yeah, reverse grip is, is not a good idea." And I agree with him. I'm like, "Yeah, for sword play, re reverse grip is not a good idea." And this one dude chimes in and goes, "Oh well," and I know you're. This is going to go completely over your head because you are not into this show. Because oh, but in Star Wars Rebel, Ahsoka Tano uses reverse grip, and I'm like, "Are you effing kidding me? Right. It's a cartoon character." Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know. So should I should I use force choke now and lightning out of my fingers, you idiot? <laughs> right. Yeah. Just at that point, there, my eyes would just glaze over and I'd yeah, walk I, away. I, just, I, I laugh and I go, "Oh yeah, okay, you just made the block list." Boop. <laughs> <laughs>
But going along more with that um, that understanding of what the obligations of a Sifu are, uh, I owe my Sibok, Pete Bahil, um, a big thank you for something that I learned through. He wrote a book, very small book, but a really, really powerful book. And I feel like an idiot right now because I'm drawing a blank on the name, but I will have it for you in the next podcast. And the book sold like mad within the Moyat family. And he wrote this incredible book. And in the book, and I've spoken to my Sifu about this, and about something called, I'm going to say this wrong, okay, Quan Wai. And in it, it, this idea of Quan Wai, which is something taught in, I guess, a lot of Kung Fu system, but it's definitely taught in Moyat Wing Chun, okay? It's, it's the correct way to love, is how it translates to be. Correct way to love. Quan Wai means the correct way to love, the correct way to care for a loved one. In, in Chinese characters for Sifu, there's two different characters used for Sifu, and both are correct. One of them translate to be like expert or killed or skilled person, you know, master expert, top level professional. In fact, uh, a real quick aside, my Sifu said when the first time he went to Hong Kong with Moyat, he got in a cab and he says, "If you ever been in a, a cab in Hong Kong, it's freaking crazy." Picture Manhattan on its worst day. Right. He says, and this cab driver was like, you know, incredible, in and out of traffic and. He, he says, and Moyat leaned forward and says, excuse me, Sifu, we have to go to such and such. And, and, and my, team, my Sifu was like, did you just call him Sifu? You know, it's like, because the guy was incredibly skilled, you know. Yeah. But the other character that some families use in our, in our family, the other character for Sifu is the characters for father. Yeah. Sifu is a relationship. So if I was introducing Anthony who's Anthony Iglesias here, to some of my friends, I would say this is Sifu Anthony Iglesias. And in saying that, I'm saying this is Sifu, the expert in martial arts, Anthony Iglesias. I would never say this is my Sifu. Right. Right, because my Sifu is Tom Kagan. You know, and my Sifu in Jeet Kune Do, even though he would kill me if I ever called him that, is Steve Golden. You know, the father figure. And... When in our Gung Fu family, when we say Sifu, we're talking about the relationship with, between the student and the teacher. It, it's it's a it's a father son relationship in a way that like you don't wake up in the morning and say to your father, "Father, teach me this." You just don't do it. What do you do? You hang out with your father. Yeah. And in hanging out with your father, you know, you live together, you spend time together, you shop together, you do things together, and you see something, and he'll say, oh, listen, when you're doing this, you know, how many times you're driving with your kid in a car, and you're on your way to the store, and he's bitching and complaining that he got stuck going to Costco with you, and you know he's starting to drive this year, and you'll see some guy pull out in the spot, and you'll say, hey, listen, when you're driving, you got to watch for that. And, you know, watch when you see guys blinker turned on in the car and head of your car. That's how you teach your family members. You teach them through life. Yeah. And so when we, in Moyat Wing Chun, we, we call it Kung Fu life. You teach through living life together. You know, one day, um, my top guy, Dave Shostel, called me up. And he was coming to New York. His plan was he was coming to New York and he was going to bring a few of his guys 
for a, uh, a Steve Golden seminar that I was hosting. And he said to me, he's like, you know, he says, um, I, I, want, I want my guys to, uh, to, you know, train with Steve and everything. He goes, but I really want them to sit at your kitchen table and just sit, you know, sit around and just swap bullshit with you. You know, just tell stories and just nonsense. That's Kung Fu life because that's real training. That, to me, is when the good shit comes out. You know, I love teaching that way. Um, I've had guys come to me for years, you know, um, and the most, we have, the most I ever taught them was not down in the basement where we'll go through drills and forms and whatever, concepts and principles. It's when we're sitting at my kitchen table and we're talking and we're talking about anything and next thing you know, it'll come up, you know, hey, when you do the bong sound in that section, you know, where, where does your elbow face? Does it still face to their shoulder? Or does it come all the way through? You know? And, and, and next thing you know, you get up, oh, here, you start moving the table over and you start like, that's Kung Fu life. It's not a pre-programmed lesson. It's an organic environment where it's just family hanging out. Yes. And whatever kind of comes up, comes up. It's, you know, how many nights have I spent on the phone with, you know, my student Seth, who, like, we talk on the phone. I probably talk on the phone more with Seth than anybody, Seth McCollum, up in the Boston area. And he probably right now has one of the, the best understandings of where my head is at and where I do things. Why? Because we're on the phone all the time. You know what I mean? It's kind of like this like stream of consciousness speaking. We don't get I don't get on the phone with Seth and make up an outline and say, "Okay, I'm going to speak on the phone with Seth about this, this and this and this concept and this ter-. No, it's we're, we're bullshitting. Mostly me breaking his balls about Tom Brady being a cheater in football. Right now he's choking on his lunch as he's re-listening to this. I'm Seth, I'm only kidding. He's not really a cheater. <laughs> the whole fucking team is. Anyway, so no, you know, so like he'll he'll break my chops about how bad the Jets are, and I'll break his chops about how, why everybody hates Tom Brady or you know his football team. It's this kind of like familial, friendly, you know, friendly is the right word, best friend that. kind of environment, yeah. and, and and within that realm is where the best lessons come from. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I got a question about this. Oh yeah, what's that? You know, or you know, and that's how. Do you do you kind of have a real relationship like with students like that? Oh, or? oh yeah. Well, I mean, just uh, I'll, I'll, that's a twofold uh, answer. It's my relationship with my Sifu is I love him, and he knows that. And I, and it's not me kissing ass. I love right. that guy. I mean, he <clears throat> to have me as a student, you got to be a good Sifu because I'm a pain in the ass, and everybody knows. That. <laughs> <clears throat> um, because I'm a very strong-willed person, and and a lot of that is because of the fact that I grew up and I was picked on. I was a minority in a in a, in a whole area filled with Italians. Uh, you know, being a Puerto Rican kid in an Italian neighborhood. You know what I mean? So yeah. I I learned to just kind of be kind of like this little tiger, which it's funny that became my my name uh, from my seafood. But I love that man. He doesn't just teach me Wing Chun. Right. He, He's, he asks me, how's life? How's the family? How's the kid? Oh, and he gives me advice. Uh, you know, funny story. We picked him up at the airport uh, one day, me and, and one of my students. And my student's in the back seat, and I'm driving. And my Sifu is in the, in the front seat, you know, passenger seat. And he just starts talking about, you know, Dimmok. And, you know, I don't know if you know, Sifu is very well known for that, for Dimmok. He's got the Dimmok 
book yeah. app and, and all that stuff. And well, he has a book on it. Um, kinda, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, it, it, it's one of those things that you have to ask for, and you get it. It's not really like a published book, uh, but you have the app. And I, I, honestly, Sifu, make a book anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, because uh, uh, like he says, you can't take it with you. But he grabs my right arm because I'm driving my left, and he just starts hitting points, and I'm, and I'm freaking out like, right. oh my god, I'm gonna go unconscious while we're driving, and and my my students with me going, oh my god, he's you know we're gonna die, you know, hey, but. But this is the kind of thing. I mean, obviously, he didn't do anything. He was right. just pointing things out while we're driving, you know. And then we, we do the seminar, and then later that night we're at dinner, and we talk about everything. But that's the Kung Fu life. Now, as far as my relationship with the students, I'm going to talk about it. My, my partner, Eric Winfrey, over in Syracuse, uh, here in Syracuse. Um, you know, Eric is one of the coolest guys you will ever meet. I mean, he is my best friend for a reason. Uh he is this big, big guy. Have you I gotta get. I gotta get to know him. I've seen pictures of him, and he seems he, like a good guy. He, a, he just kind of has that look, like, "Hey, you want to hang out and have a yeah beer with him or whatever," yeah. you know. And, and he and he is so incredibly skilled. And you know, we make this joke. I'm not even kidding with you. Weekly, I mean, at least two, three times a week, the words come out. Yeah, that's why Sifu Eric's the Jedi and Anthony's the Sith because he's the <laughs> nicest guy. He's very politically correct. He's very polite. Where me, I'm a pain in the ass. You know, no, Anthony, don't say that. Oh, come <laughs> on. But, you know, the relationship that he promotes in our school is very family. That's it's awesome. Family, that's family, awesome. Honor and family. We get together. We do movies together. We watch the fights together. Last night, I posted in our group that we were getting together for my wife's birthday mm -hmm. and my students showed up for my wife's birthday we, That's we incredible we went to Dave and Buster's we had drinks we had food we played games together that's 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 a family I, I feel a Sifu who doesn't have that with their students is 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 robbing themselves of a, a much deeper uh, uh, relationship and a much deeper lesson as far as kung fu in my opinion right I think I think one of the um, cool Traditions in Wei uh, Wing Chun is um, at least how it's been presented to me. Was Moyat um, learned looked in Bun Guan, the long pole from Yip Man while sitting at a coffee house with a chopstick. <laughs> so that's how Moyat taught my Sifu. One day after training in the morning, or they went out for lunch, and he said, Tom, hand me that chopstick. And with the chopstick, he taught my Sifu, Luk Tem Pung Kwan, the That's long awesome. Kwan. So, you know, I learned it with a pen, you know, sitting here at my, at my table, you know. <laughs> and then we went in my living room, and I, I you know, my poor wife, I mean, you come in my house, in my living room, I literally had two long poles leaned up against the wall in the corner, <laughs> which, you know, Lori loved. But it's it's a step up from when we lived in Brooklyn, and I had a mukyang jong in my living room. Now, at least the, the, my jongs are in the basement. <laughs> but I, I kind of dig on that, because like, I, I kind of feel like it's, uh, it's, it's it shows the importance of kung fu life, you know, um... One thing my, my, my Sifu told me about Moyat, which I, I always loved, I love to hear, is that, like, how uh, Wong Chung Long was known as the king of talking hands, 
and um, what's his name? Chao Sung Ting was king of uh, Sunam Dao. That Moyak always kind of wanted to be known as, at least how my instructor told me, was the king of teaching, of Kung Fu life, of teaching through Kung Fu life. Like he wanted that to be his mark on the Wing Chun community was this idea of family, of samphat, you know, of um, the way the way of the heart, as as well as so in, in Wing Chun, like a lot of you have heard these terms, kyunfat and samphat, way of the fist and way of the heart, and um, I'm definitely going to have a podcast dealing with that one day, but in in like in Moyat Wing Chun, like um, I had a student of mine who like if I had to cancel a class I would text him and say hey dude I you know I, I had to work late tonight and he would just come back samphat because he knew like hey I get it you know it's life you yeah. know and um, and I and I always just kind of love that but uh, while I have uh, young Anthony here and I say uh-huh. young because I think he's six months younger than me <laughs> um I have questions about uh, TWC a little bit, you know. I, I'm not familiar with it at all, you know. We've had some discussions about the um, off, you know, off the air about the, the high Tan Sao and the high Wu Sao and things to that effect, and, and I find that really interesting. But one of the things I really find interesting is the, um, I've heard TWC people, not so much you in particular, but in general, refer to several Lines like this center line, central line, yeah. things to that effect. Again, I don't know if there's two or ten. I have no idea. There's quite a few, actually. Would you mind like going through that a little bit, or I, I have no problem with that at all, and I and I hope that the TWC guys don't get too upset because let me first start off and say I am not a TWC guy. Oh, okay. Um, I am a kung fu guy, and and I and I mean that sincerely. Um, I started cutting my teeth in Wing Chun as a TWC guy. But when I got together with Sifu Crescioni, that stopped. Uh, my first Wing Chun Sifu was Sifu Rando Di Giuseppe. He was the TWC guy. When he passed me to my Sifu, that's when I learned that there was other Wing Chun out there. Right. You know, uh, because he trained under Liu Chai, Li Moi Shan in the Moyat lineage, you know, right. stuff like that. So anyway, uh, let me let me go to the TWC stuff because that's you know where I got my rank. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are actually lines. The, the, the center line, the central line, you have shoulder lines, chest line. Uh, it, you have the uh, Wu Sao line, Man Sao line. Uh, you, know, you have quite a few uh, uh, lines, uh, and the shoulder line is actually twofold. Uh, so which one do you want to discuss? <laughs> I mean, no. you know, like, if, you, if I came to you with a little bit of a bat- Wing Chun background, yeah. what, would you, what would you say, okay, you know what, we're going to start you on central line. Uh-huh. Why? Yeah. What's the importance of central line versus? I again, I even have no idea what it is. It may be something I teach also. I have no idea. Okay. But um. Well, the central line. Think of it like a, a thread that connects you and I together. Like we're connected by light, you know. So when we look at each other, we're seeing the light directly reflect, reflected off of you into my eyes. That's the central line. So no matter where you go, that line still connects us. You see. So my center line can point in any direction I could turn my center line away from you okay I see what you're saying but my central line is always connected always so what I teach uh, my students is always protect your center and central line but always attack theirs 
You see? Right. So I always want to make sure that I have hands occupying the central line. You see? Right. Oh, I yeah. I, I always no matter I, what, my hands are occupying the central whether it's my hands, my elbow, my head. Back, absolutely. You know. <laughs> okay, so I don't use that term, but yeah. I that that's so how I teach what I do is I only use two things. I center line and what I call the center line fence. So to me, center line is not the surface down your center. To me, center line is the plumb. So if you took the yes. the core of your body, right from the top center part of your head coming down right, well, you know right where it's going to come out, straight down, <laughs> that 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 plumb line between your in, in the core of your body, your, where your spine is, is your center line. Yes. So I have one, and my my opponent or training partner has one, and what I call the center line fence is the line from wherever I happen to be, from my plumb line to my opponent's plumb line, and I want to occupy that line with something. Yeah, there you go. And you know that's so that's what I call the center line fence. They I, a different language. Right. It's it's no. it's it's. Which, it's don't you think that that's one of the biggest problems in Wing Chun? And, oh, you know, I agree. Is people are talking about the same thing, but they because they give it a different name, because they're in a different lineage, they argue about who's calling it the right thing when they're actually both talking about the same thing. Right, right, right. It's a good well, yeah, point. You call it the central, the center fence. Line. Center line fence, yeah. Center line fence. We call it central line, yeah. You know, well, and then there's sense. other lines, which I'm sure uh, you you have the same lines we have. We have the Wu Sao line. And we have the Mansau line. Okay. Right? So what is that to you? So for us, the, the, when you put your hands forward, right? Right. Right? So for us, the Wu Sao, yeah. So the Wu Sao line is, if I were to take my arm and outstretch it, the Wu Sao line is, is just on or slightly ahead of where my elbow is. So that's the Wu Sao line. If we were to talk about from... Oh, like, so that's a line of depth. Depth, yes. So if we were thinking in, in terms of <clears throat> me being the sci-fi geek that I am, the Star Trek nerds will totally get with this. The Wu Sao line is secondary deflector shields. <laughs> you know? Holy shit, man. Right? I know. You're fucking killing me. Okay. You invited a nerd to your podcast. Come on. So <laughs> so the scent, the Mon Sao line would be when my arm is outstretched, kind of like when a boxer stands, you know, with their hands right. forward. Like if you remember the old boxing style, you know, where they sure, sure. that. Um, the sense, the, the Mon Sao line would be the, the forward hand. So you have two lines of defense. You really want to deal with everything in Mansau. Right. You really don't want somebody to get into Wuzhou. And so I want to, So the, the Mansau line is really where I want to deal with anything. However, if the Mansau line is taken or fails or whatever, I've got my Wuzhou. Well, that, makes, that makes absolute sense. Yeah. So when, when you put it in terms of depth yeah. or in um, terms of distance with the opponent, mm -hmm. I get that. And then of course there's other lines, you know. There's <laughs> there's the kicking line. There is the 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 line of, uh, and this is where the whole accuracy, timing, and distance thing comes in. Where do you understand your furthest reach with your longest weapon, and do you comprehend the longest reach or line of your opponent? Because I'm five foot five. I'm a short guy. I have students that are six foot four. You know, I have a student named Reggie. Who's I call him limbs, you know. Right. I, never, I never call him that to his face. But right. he's yeah, got these long legs. He he has a different perspective on that line than I do. 
he can keep me at range easier than I can keep him at range. You see, mm -hmm, sure. so there's different lines. So I look at it that way. I look at it from, you know, completely three-dimensional, four-dimensional point of view. That's and, that's really interesting. There's other lines. There's shoulder lines. You got the shoulder lines. We have the outside gate, inside gate. But the shoulder lines are not just about eyesight and inside. It's also about height. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really interesting. That's some cool shit, man. I you know, like that. Think about it. Like when you do your fuchs out, right? When you're doing cheese out, when you do fuch. I've seen this a lot. And again, I, I'm not going to criticize people. Whatever they do that works for them, God bless them, right? Uh, however, I see people when they do fuchs out, they rise their fuchs out wrist above the shoulder line in our way of teaching that's bad that's a no-no mm. that's killing your structure it, it's just bad then you see people doing bongs out where they rise their their bongs out above the shoulder line yeah, again right. that's bad structure uh so as far as height is concerned we try to keep everything on or below the shoulder line not above but then also there's the mutual shared shoulder line. See, I'm right, talking. Right, sure. I, I, I warned you. There's a lot of lines. So you're taller than me. You know, I'm five foot five. You're, you know, maybe six foot. Your shoulder is here. My shoulder is, you know, a little right. shorter than yours. So at the center point where our shoulders meet, is now the sh the mutual shoulder line. Right. So my fuksa might rise just a little bit because you're taller than me. Right, right, right. So, it, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> no, that's interesting We could do stuff. a whole podcast on this and bore the hell out of people. No, no, no. This is, uh, <laughs> this is actually, I, I think it's very interesting stuff. I uh, I like learning about other cultures and their people. Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to come with me to the Star Wars convention then? Uh, you know what? I like foreign things, but not that foreign, you know? Um <laughs> Listen, we all we all have things we get our geek on, you know. Yeah. Um, for you, it's Star Wars. For me, I've told you a thousand times, I'm a Sherlock Holmes nut, you know. Yeah. If if I could get away with wearing one of those Deer Stalker caps and my wife wouldn't hit me for wearing it, I would freaking wear it because I'm a Sherlock Holmes whack job. I mean, I don't wear. I don't. Oh, and I love country. Don't don't my country music, man. I'm. I like me some Thomas Rhett, man. Like that's. Uh, you want a pickup truck, don't you? Dude, I want a pickup truck with like the truck balls hanging in the back and everything. You know, I want to. Oh, and then if I didn't have such fat legs, I would have awesome friggin' cowboy boots. And you know, we went to a. Uh, I just went to go see Toby Keith in concert a couple weeks ago. Man, I felt naked without a cowboy hat. I need a cowboy hat now. Dude, man, when's your birthday? I'll hook you up. Gosh, but you know what? I need a cowboy hat. I want a nice, cool, like just. Not expensive. I can't go out and buy some Stetson. I want like a straw, you know, white or black cowboy hat. You know, yeah. like, like I, I would totally rock that. I would. That's, hey, that's awesome, man. I mean, you know what? You, you gotta love what you love, man. You know. Right. It's exactly right. And if somebody makes fun of you, hey, you know. If, that's what you can do is for. <laughs> They knock your hat off their, your head. Knock their oh head yeah, off. no, I'll. Uh... <laughs> well, you know it's funny because. I, I I never was um, uh, I'm gonna say quote unquote a tough guy, but as I've got as I've gotten older, I've mellowed out so much. You know, the, the listeners to this podcast are gonna no secret that I have a weight problem and I'm, and I'm losing weight and getting healthier. Yes. But um, about I want to say a year year and a half ago, I was in pretty bad shape weight wise. You know. And um, I was limping really hard, and it was it was tough for me. Just just uh, daily existence was really tough. Yeah. And um, one day I get I'm going to work, 
and I get on the elevator, and this couple gets on the elevator behind me, uh, after me, and they get, like, they stand behind me. And the doors close, and I see the guy, like, put his arms out to both sides, as if, like, making fun of me being fat, and, like, waving his arms back and forth, like, ha, ha, ha. Oh, my God. And I, I, so, I turn around, and I said, you realize the doors are a mirror, right? <laughs> Did he poop himself? Well, yeah, he, he turned, like, white, you know? Yeah, good. And I said to him, I'm like, listen, you know, I'm, like, the nicest guy in the world. I'm, like, I'm, but, like, in an elevator, I could fuck you up really bad. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't run away from me here, and I got, I got to hit hard, you know? Yeah. And, and like, and of course they were like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." And I, and I think that, what, you know, you just you have to do what makes you happy. And yes. um, right now, losing weight is making me happy. In country, yeah, man, I'm very proud of you, brother. I mean, I've, you know, we've known each other for quite a while. You've had so many discussions on this, and you know, I've, I've, I've thrown stuff your way. And the one thing that I never wanted to do was give you uh, un unsolicited advice because everybody and their mother wants to tell you what to do. Right. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so I'm so glad that, that you have come to this uh, revelation of, of yourself. And, you you and, have to and, do it when you're ready. Yeah. And the excitement that I see from you on Facebook, how you're posting about your, you know, your workouts, your meals and everything. I'm like, dude, rock on brother, man. So I love it. I love it. And I can't wait. I can't wait to just see where you're going to go with this. I'm not very proud. Oh, it feels good. And I have a whole list of shit that I'm going to do when I'm at a healthy weight. You know, yeah. I got stuff I'm going to do that. I just, uh, I can't wait. I just can't yeah. wait. You're going to come to Comic-Con with me. I, you know what? I would love to go to Comic-Con. My sons go to Comic-Con every year. They love it. <laughs> and, um, I like one of, one of the, one of the things I geek about is I'm, um, I collect comic books. Well, you know, you be Sherlock Holmes. I'll be a Sith. You know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, oh man. So I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about JKD. Um, not that we have a whole bunch of time left, but uh, earlier in the conversation, I mentioned um, simple, direct, and non-classical. And I'm saying, you know, I bet a lot of people have a different understanding of that. What is simple, direct, and non-classical? And um, I can only say what it means to me. I always refer to it as the litmus test of Jeet Kune Do. And what I mean by litmus test is, to me, it, I can tell if something is JKD or not. By, is it simple, direct, and non-classical? So oftentimes when I sit down with a guy who um, has a background in Jeet Kune Do, or at least they think they have a background in Jeet Kune Do, I'll ask them, what does simple, direct, and non-classical mean to you? And it's almost inevitable that they'll say simple when you say well, what is simple they give this idea of uh, uh, you know a straight line from where you know where your hand happens to be single direct attack or simple direct attack depending right. on they'll start regurgitating Bruce Lee quotes and I always say to them that's a great definition of direct yeah but what does it mean to be simple yeah and I'll say to them listen if you were a uh, a janitor in a building that had 20, 20 apartments. What would be more simple? To carry a key for each apartment or one key that opened up all 20 doors? Exactly. And like, oh, right, one key that opened up 20 doors. Right, so in Jeet Kune Do, we have this idea of simplicity in that we kind of look to reduce 
the choices we have to make. You know, why are there five ways of attack? Because that's how many you need to open up all the doors. Yes. You know, not every attack. See, like one of the, in my opinion, biggest misconceptions about Jeet Kune Do is this idea that all attacks fall within the five ways. I don't believe that to be true. Because you'll go, they use, and then you'll you'll hear people say, "Oh, well, my Sifu invented a sixth way of attack or a seventh way of that." That's good. I don't give a fuck. Good. You know, it's you, you need five ways because that's how many you need. It's this simple understanding of strategy. So that's simple. It's this idea of not having a heavy toolbox to weigh you down. I don't uh, need to have forty-two different variations of a jab. Can I, I need tell to you be something? able to sure. Because uh, you just mentioned toolbox, I'm gonna talk about my uh, first wing Chun Sifu. He uh, is an artist, and he would work. He would restore art and things like that. And he went. He told me the story, and this is how he taught me about simplicity in my Wing Chun training back in the '90s. He said uh, he went to this uh, sculpting class by this some famous sculptor, and they were told to bring a four by one uh, block of wood, right, to a sculpting class. Those that mm-hmm. was that was the directions they have. And so he shows up to this big sculpting class by this famous guy with this four by one block of wood. And he didn't bring any other tools because they said, just bring that. But he looks around, he sees all these students with these big boxes of all these sculpting tools, you know? I mean, every tool you can imagine, it's a sculpting eye and a sculpting ear and all this stuff. And so this big guy, this, this famous guy walks in and he's got his block of wood and he, he looks around and he sees who's got the block of wood. He goes, okay, here, this is what you're sculpting with today. And if you can't sculpt with this, you can't sculpt. Right. You uh, see? That was your tool, so, right? That was the lesson. That's the, so, you know, the way I look at simplicity is you don't need 50 million tools to deal with 50 million problems. Right. You know, I mean, we have six and a half point pole. You know, and there's the story of I don't know if this story is true uh, uh, of how uh, one uh, Wing Chun person I, I don't know who it was maybe it was Wong Wabo in, in the stories had a discussion with another guy and he says yeah I do look Nimbun Kwan and the other guy says well I do four point pole and the Wing Chun guy says well yours is better and the other guy says well what do you mean it's better he goes well you only need four we need six six right. and a half so you know so I <laughs> anyway I don't want to take us no no that's cool that's cool yeah. Yeah, so like that's so all I'll say. Like that's simple. Uh, direct is a straight line from where your tool is to where it needs to be. But the real, the big one, is non-classical. You ask JKD people, what did Bruce Lee mean by simple, direct, non-classical, and then reference non-classical? You will hear more of a line of streaming bullshit than you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> non-classical, folks, has absolutely nothing to do with traditions. It's got nothing to do with it, bro. Nothing. People say, oh, well, you know, you don't wear a karate gi. So what? He had 14 different t-shirt designs, and they wore kung fu uniforms, and they had the bowing, and we all learned the Jin Lai, right? And, you know, he gave out certificates for a while, and they had titles, and... So, he mostly had all the traditions. Steve Golden loves to tell a story when they first started training in the Chinatown school. Bruce Lee lined them all up and said, okay, you all refer to me as Sifu. And they said, okay, Bruce, because they all knew him already, you know? Yeah. But, you know, Bruce Lee was running, wanted to run a, 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 a school that had traditions in it. So 
non-classical has absolutely, absolutely nothing to do with tradition. Has absolutely nothing to do with belts and geese and uniforms and none of that. That's all bullshit. You when your seafood's telling you that, that means he doesn't know. He doesn't get it. Yeah. It means he's a moron. Non-classical. You know. What were you gonna say? A lot of people in JKD, honestly, they just don't know. I mean, I learned more about JKD from talking to you, you know, (laughs) and and people like you, than in all the years that I've been reading books on JKD. You know, by by hanging out with legitimate JKD people, that's how I learned from. I'm always learning something new every time we have a conversation. But keep going, brother. That's what's all. When Bruce Lee was talking about non-classical, he was talking about rhythms, non-classical rhythms. He learned a martial art, kung fu, taught with classical rhythms. There's, in, 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 in way the most Wing Chun systems are taught, they don't use fakes and feints. They use mostly direct attacks. That when Bruce Lee came to America, he was fascinated by American boxing. And if you need to understand classical rhythms versus non-classical rhythms, picture like every Channel 5 Saturday Kung Fu movie you've ever seen in your life, and you see this like, like, I try to move, you try to move, I try to move. That's a classical rhythm to a Kung Fu fight. As a musician now, because you are now a musician, you can play a song to the rhythm these freaking old kung fu movies are doing. Exactly and right. I love those kung fu movies. They were cheesy as fudge. Right. But the, but you know who he ha he ha and with the sound effects, you know I'm. We should totally make a song out of that message. <laughs> <laughs> so non-classical rhythm is broken rhythm. That you need to do Jeet Kune Do. You need to understand. Broken rhythm, non-classical rhythms. And again, just to use the analogy of music, if, if you ask a musician, the space in a song, the empty space is as important as the notes. This idea of like, bum, 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 that bum, 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 that, that, that kind of half a break, that, that, that rest note, that one-eighth rest note, is as important as the note that precedes it and follows it. Because yeah. that's what set up those notes. And it's the same thing in martial arts. When we talk about broken rhythm, in, in, in JKD, you'll often hear people refer to inserted hits as breaking the rhythm. Um, he throws jab cross and he throws a kick in between them. And I understand why people feel that way and I, 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 I get it, but that's not broken rhythm. That's an inserted hit, where where the rhythm was one two. Now it's one ba ba. So instead of ba ba, it's ba ba ba. Like I get it. That's an inserted hit. But if you want to understand, I used an example of broken rhythm. I think last week, where like Michael Jordan going up for a to throw a shot on yeah. on the basket, and he kind of stops, and the defender jumps. And then when he comes down, then Jordan finishes the shot. That's using broken rhythm. If you like football, picture the best quarterbacks in the world, Tom Brady, right? When he kind of does a little pump fake, the defensive line freezes and the linebackers jump. And then while they're on the way down, Brady just throws his pass to his to Gronk and, and they score a touchdown. Why? Because Brady understands broken rhythm. He doesn't call it that. But that's, you know, that's 
real non-classical thought. That's a non-classical thought process. And when JKD people really want to play broken rhythm, it's 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 footwork, it's intention, it's it's body language. Everything is used to break the rhythm. So when you hear someone say, "Oh, simple, direct, non-classical," get the whole idea of traditions and crap out of your head. Yeah. It's just not. It's it's it. Literally, that's elementary school level thinking. And if your teacher's telling you that. You know, I guess be polite and say, okay, but no, your teacher belongs in fucking elementary school. You know, <laughs> it's it's just the truth. You know, yeah. high-level, university-level Jeet Kune Do understands that non-classical is the, an understanding of rhythms yeah. and the breaking of rhythms, you know. And I was going to spend some time tonight on... Uh, faints and fakes and you know let the broken rhythms go into it and i'm going to touch on it a little bit but we really don't have any time left so when it comes to broken rhythm i'm just gonna give one example i look at faints and fakes as like the heart and core of chikundo you know um you have to get rid of the thought process in your head that you always need to be non-telegraphic if I can give you two line, two two thought processes as far as fakes and faints for tonight would be one. JKD is not always non-telegraphic. Sometimes you got to sell it. Right. You oh, if if you are going to use a fake or a faint, you absolutely have, have to, to sell, sell it. it. And what I mean by that is you got to let the guy see it coming, because he has to say, "Oh shit, that's coming." Let me block it. Let me move. Let me do something. You have to. So if you're in your head saying, oh, JKD is always non-telegraphic, then you don't understand fakes and faints. And if you don't understand fakes and faints, you don't understand broken rhythm. And if you don't understand broken rhythm, you don't know JKD. And the other, the other thing I kind of wanted to, um, to help you with the fakes and faints a little bit is the idea is you want to score right away. When I get into a, when, I, when I'm going to spar, my goal is to hurt somebody right away. I want the guy to know, hey, I'm here to fucking hurt you. And, but more than that, I want to, I want to be able to ignore his intimidation and be able to intimidate you in a simple way. And I don't care if the score is on his lead hand. I, when I say score, I mean the strike. I don't care if it's a shot to his gut, to his chin. Why, do, why is it so important for me? Because I want to trap his mind into that location on his body. And so let's just say me and Anthony get up to spar, and I just throw this hard back fist right to the back of his hand. Bang! Really hard. Just as soon as we start, bang! And, I, and, he, and it doesn't hurt him that much, but it kind of like, ah, oh, shit, man. He fucking hurt my hand, you know? <laughs> yeah. So... I did that for a reason, not because I'm a jerk. I did it because I'm programming him. Mm-hmm. I want him to be sensitive to that. And, and making him sensitive to his lead hand getting hit. Now, if I'm going to fake, I'm going to fake to that lead hand. Because he now is like, it's throbbing a little bit. He knows it's vulnerable. So now I fake to that lead hand, and he moves. Because he doesn't want his hand to get hit again. And now the the opening line that's created by that is where I'm going to score. And you know what? I'm going to score that way the whole night. Because he's now sensitive. 
So you want to create this idea of, oh, wow, I have this line, and he's going to hurt me along it. Yeah. You know, and I want to absolutely be telegraphic in my attack then for the rest of the time. So my first initial attack is non-telegraphic, right? Bang, just right in, hits him. After that, I'm going to be telegraphic as fuck. I want him to be, <laughs> I, he's going to be like, wow, he's coming after my hand. That still hurts from the last time the bastard hurt it. And, and, and he's going to move. And you want to cr- create an opening line as opposed to attacking an open line. Because an opening line, the, the, the guy needs to now change directions to close the line. An open line, he just has to go in that direction to close it. But if a line is opening, he has to stop and come back. Right. So you want to create an opening line and with fakes and feints and with hurting your opponent, I, you know, hurting, I say, your training partner, you know, give him a good pop. Let him know to become sensitive to an area and let that area open lines for you. Yeah, I look at it as you have to impose your will on somebody. Oh yeah, so, and you have to get, you have to make them feel like they entered your home, not the other way around. You know, so by using feints and feints, you're dictating the pace. You know, you're telling that person, no, 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 you're going to react to me. It's not going to be the other way around. You know, yeah. and so you know, you could be using, for example, you could be using a low sidekick to the shin, and just keep putting it there. Bop, bop. You're not doing it. It's not breaking their shin but it's just annoying enough to make them know that that's coming and then you know when Actually, you know you got them programmed you you make the hip gesture like you're gonna do it and bang you 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 blast them in the nose with the jab because they were too busy thinking about that that shin that that's a little sore right now so yeah you want definitely want to control the pace um, right, absolutely. But, you know, uh, I, I, I want to kind of, you know, I know that we don't have a lot of time, but there's something, you know, you asked me, you said, hey, you know, what is something that you would like to talk about? Oh, okay. So I, if we have five minutes, I'm sure. Um, but uh, we talk about using modern equipment. We kind of touched up on it a little bit earlier, but the uh, modern equipment that I want to talk about is actually not modern at all in my book, and that's the use of gloves for Wing Chun people. Now, Bruce Lee was very famous for those, you know, what some people call the very first MMA gloves in right, the right, Dragon right. with uh, Sammo Hung, right, in that first fight scene. Yeah. You know? But Bruce Lee was known to put on gloves and duke it out. Because oh, yeah. in my opinion, I've said this before, you know, <clears throat> Bruce Lee understood that the concepts and principles of, of Wing Chun <coughs> are what's more important. So what is your opinion? Because everybody knows mine, and, and, and I'll, of course I'll give mine in a minute for those who don't know. But what is your opinion from a Wing Chun point of view of using straight up, not MMA gloves, boxing gloves? I think it depends. Of course, in my opinion, they should definitely be used. Um, a good 12-ounce boxing glove, 14-ounce boxing glove is, a, is, a, is an invaluable training tool to be used. I look at boxing as the pure representation of what Wing Chun could be. It's simple, direct, and non-classical. And if you don't know that, then watch a boxing match. And I think that if, yeah, will, will it hamper some trapping? Yeah, but you know what? Trapping's not your goal anyway. Exactly. Your, your goal is to hit. So yeah, do we want to be rock'em, sock'em robots? No. But on... 
I don't know if I would hand boxing gloves to guys that are just training with me for two months. <coughs> but once a guy has a uh, a base level, I think I think boxing gloves are. I'm I'm all in for I'm all in favor of it. I um, in fact one of the drills we used to do when um, I was uh, working with Matt Thornton was we would uh, again another do with Wing Chun, but we would two guys me and Anthony let's call it and we would get up and we would do like put on boxing gloves and we'd move around and we'd do some basic boxing and then the the coach the Sifu whatever would say like you know okay now boom and you would just close the distance and we would just pause a second rip off the gloves and tie up mm-hmm. and now take it to the next closer range kind of thing yeah. You know, and it didn't take anything away from the aliveness of the drill. And I think in Wing Chun it could be the same thing, you know. It's me and you moving around boxing is absolutely cuz to me there's no better way to understand timing. There's no better way to understand the controlling of distance. Distance is not a measurement. I don't sit there and say, "Okay, we're going to train distance tonight. Okay, stand 6 feet away from the guy." That's not training distance. That's measuring. Yeah. Distance is letting him believe he's a certain distance away from me and he's really not and what i mean by that is he sits there and thinks okay i'm out of range or i am i'm within range and they're really not you know that's understanding how to use distance with angles and boxing with boxing gloves on boxing gloves and a mouthpiece is in my opinion one of the best ways of learning how to do that in a live manner. Yeah, when you get socked in the face when you have you know your mouth guard on or helmet <laughs> or whatever when you get clipped that's reality right there. And I, I, you know, uh, I'm well hated in the Wing Chun circles, and I'm and rightly for that. so. And I'm very proud <laughs> of that. Thank you very much, all of you Wing Chun people. Kiss my ass. Who don't like me? Who cares? Anyway, um, the the reason why they don't like me is because I call them out on their bullshit. These guys, they don't spar. Like I said earlier, they don't spar. They don't compete. They don't have the experience. And how do you simulate pressure? I mean, they talk about straight, oh, I'll just bugey to the eyes and kick him in the nuts. Let me tell you something. If your whole Wing Chun strategy is to poke somebody in the eye and kick him in the nuts, then your Kung Fu sucks. So if you can't make your Wing Chun work with boxing gloves, your Wing Chun sucks. Period. All the best Wing Chun guys out there can do their Wing Chun with boxing gloves. You look at guys like Alan Orr, Sean Abbasi, uh, Philip Bayer, uh, Philip Redman. I mean, there's a list that can go on. Uh, uh, my friend Sean, uh, uh, the, the drunken Scottish guy. You know, these guys, you put gloves on them, you put, you could put giant inflatable pillows on their arms and they will still make their Wing Chun work because they understand the concepts and principles of Wing Chun. And you can do Chi Sao with boxing gloves on because Chi Sao is not about the hand. Chi Sao is about the wrist to the elbow, to the shoulder, to your structure. And so your chi sao should be not focused on, oh, is my hand up, down, this way, that way? It should be about the bridge position. Hmm. That's what it should be. So, uh, you know, that's my opinion on that. And, you know, I, I kind of asked a leading question, but I wanted to hear, because, you know, you're a JKD guy, but you're also a Wing Chun guy um, who, you know, has that fighting experience. I saw a picture of you coaching a fighter. You know, and uh, you know you have that experience. I feel that Wing Chun people really need to get with the times. Don't discard what you've been doing. That would be foolish. That would be like discarding the wheel. Hello, the wheel works, okay? But I'm not going to make my wheel out of wood anymore. Right. I'm going to make it out of titanium. polymers and rubbers and titanium and and and. and 
graphite materials because that's the materials I have. I'm still using the wheel, but I'm just using better materials now. Well, guess what? We have better technology. We have a different set of problems to answer now. And so, you know, as far as my Wing Chun training, I'm yes, I'm going to give them to traditional stuff and we're going to do the Archisa without gloves and we're going to hit the wall bag and we're going to use the Mukjong but they're going to be using speed bags, heavy bags, jump rope or you know and we're going to be using gloves quite often right? because, because I'm sorry there's no better feedback than getting clocked. There, there, there is just no better feedback in my opinion When I mean you need to learn the basics but once you have that, that foundation you got to graduate Absolutely, dude. You know, Absolutely. I mean, what, you well, what, you, what you just said, in my opinion, what you just said puts the whole sport versus street argument to bed. Yeah. Because it's the biggest bullshit argument in martial arts. It is. These quote-unquote street fighters who talk about kicking in the balls and finger-jabbing in the eyes, and you say to them, oh, they're like, oh, we don't do sport. We, you know, we're a bunch of fucking killers, man. All we do is, you know, finger-jab to the eyes and kick to the balls and... Well, how do you train that? What do you mean? Well, how do you train that? Do you train in sparring? Oh, yeah, we go full contact. Oh, really? So how many eyes have you poked out? Exactly. Oh, well, we don't actually poke each other's eyes out. Oh, so you kind of use a jab? Yeah. You know, instead of, instead of like, poking each other's eyes out? So how many times have you been kicked in the balls full contact? Oh, you haven't been? Oh, so then you're not actually doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're actually doing sport. Except the guys that say they're doing it sport do it better than you. Exactly. They so if you think, I would say, right. So if you think you can beat a sports fighter because you do street fighting, here's something someone told me. I've said it on a prior podcast. I'm going to say it every fucking week if I have to. Adam Singer, who runs a great gym down in Atlanta, he's a member of the Straight Blast Gym, he once said to me years ago, Beat me without rules? Dude, you can't even beat me with rules. <laughs> That's right. You know? That's and right. Are you kidding me? You can't beat me with rules. You think you can beat me without rules? You're out of your mind. Exactly. And, well, you know, it, it, again, it comes back. I, I get some people that, uh, you know, oh, you're, you guys aren't doing Wing Chun. My, one of my students, I, just, I posted the video, I think, in your group of one of my students uh, dropping a guy with a, with a kick, a Wing Chun kick that I taught him, right? And when people go, oh, is he using Wing Chun? I go, no, we're using Kung Fu. We, mm. You know what I mean? But yeah, he's my Wing Chun student, but it's Kung Fu. And that's really what it comes down to is, do you have the skill to see the line, identify the line, and take the line? Yeah. Do you have the, the skill to get off the line, to draw in the opponent, to use broken rhythm? Do you have those skills? Because so many Wing Chun people, they just they lunge forward with their chain punches and spray and pray. And it works 90, with Donnie Yen. And ninety percent, yeah, right. And ninety percent of them get caught with a hook. Right, right. And 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 and, and of course, I always I, I laugh my ass off. These guys, you can tell they've never been hit before because after they get caught with that hook, they're done. Right. They've got nothing left because why? They don't know what it's like to get hit and recover from getting hit. Oh yeah, getting hit will teach you a lot about yourself, man. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, with that being said, I hope everybody enjoyed this week's podcast. Uh, Anthony and I had a great time. Well, thank you so much, Anthony, for filling in. I really appreciate it. I hope we can have you on again. You were an awesome guest. Right, you did well. And folks, remember, hands up, chin down, eyes open, breathe. If you can get that four down, you're on a good start. And um, 
If you're enjoying the podcast, we really would appreciate a positive review on iTunes. And as important, tell your friends. Tell, tell anybody you know that's into martial arts, JKD, Wing Chun, whatever, about the podcast. You know, we, need, we would love for it to, um, to grow. The numbers have been phenomenal, the amount of downloads. And um, any help you guys can provide us with that, we'd really appreciate that. We're gonna, so Alex will be back next week. And um, hope to see you guys there. Thanks, Anthony. Appreciate it. Anytime, brother. Be good, guys.